For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to another episode of Talking Out Loud. We're going to be talking a lot of recruiting today off the back of the Flyers picking up two top 100 recruits for the incoming class to join Little Scoochie, Mally Smith. And then at the back half of the episode, I welcomed on our old friend from NBC Sports, Rob Doster, to bring us up to speed on his new project, the Field of 68 Network, which this show will be joining very soon. Let's not waste any more time. Let's go! Shot up at the buzzer, it's good! From Tall! The place comes in at the buzzer, the deep flyer! And the deep steps with all guns! Sanford, Grant, all the way! One of the great college basketball venues in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Welcome back to the best Dayton basketball podcast on the internet. This is Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully. I'm joined by Drew tonight, and we have, Drew, I think it's fair to say, a jam-packed show tonight. Jam-packed. Jam-packed. Yeah, it's, ready to it's absolutely jam-packed, so we're just going to get right into it tonight. Again, great to have you. Hopefully you're wearing red. Hopefully you're being loud, and I know you're probably here to hear us talk about the recruiting news that hit the Dayton basketball program over the past week but before we do this show is taking strides and we have taken strides since our last episode very proud to announce that talking out loud has its own hour on espn 1410 in dayton that's wing am 1410 it's going to be every thursday night from 6 to 7 p.m and basically it's going to be a custom show for radio but it's going to be a lot of the content that we have on here me and Drew get away with a lot of swearing and a lot of shenanigans, maybe some questionable content from time to time. So we're going to put on a suit and tie. We're going to clean this shit up and we're going to put it on the radio for you every week. So if you missed the show or if you're driving around your car, you can get it streaming live on the ESPN 1410 site or you can go on iHeartRadio and search for ESPN Dayton to find us on Thursday evenings. Aside from that, uh, this is another announcement this week. Drew, we got a bunch of announcements, man. I know you got to sit there and kind of wait for me to get these <laughs> out, right? Uh-oh. But 
The uh, other announcement had to do with my partnership with the Field of 68 Media Network. Rob Doster, who used to work for NBC Sports, and Jeff Goodman, who has worked for about every place you can cover basketball, uh, came to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, would you like to help us out and be a part of our podcast network? So they had about 10 or 12 different uh, guys that used to play at big-time programs. I'm talking about Florida, uh, Baylor, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Duke. And since I had success in uh, the podcasting thing, this whole podcasting deal and growing it organically, uh, I said I would help them out. And obviously, the win for me is that our little old Dayton podcast is going to be right there next to the big boys on the field of 68 Media Network. So you're going to hear a lot more about that coming up later on in the show. Uh, first, before we get to the two segments today, Drew and I have some things to discuss. The middle part of the show, we're going to discuss recruiting with my buddies Jeff and Durs, and that interview is going to be brought to you by mobileinspections.com. That's by George. However, this episode tonight is bought, brought to you by Sureholtz Printing and Kettering. Sureholtz Printing is family owned and operated since 1974. They are located in Kettering, as I mentioned, but service the entire Miami Valley. Convenient for you, of course. If it's printed, they can help. You can check out their website for all the printing options that they have to offer. That's Sureholtz, S-C-H-U-E-R-H-O-L-Z, printing.com. They're a proud supporter, printer, and season ticket holder of the UD men's and women's basketball teams. And like I said to you last week, Charlie Sherholtz, he has reminded me that they have done business safely throughout the pandemic and that they are always big supporters of this program. And that is why this episode is brought to you by Sherholtz Printing. All right. On with the news, we came to discuss recruiting for the night. You may have heard, if you're listening to this program, that the Dayton Flyers picked up two huge, Drew, huge. Huge. Commitments. Huge. Um, two of the biggest commitments we've ever seen side-by-side side in the program's history. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of recruiting later on. That's why I brought on Jeff and Durs. But what I wanted to discuss here to, to start the show is, is the turning point that you're starting to see take formation. And we've talked about for years how the Dayton Flyers program always seems to be one step away. They seem to be one step from, or one uh, important aspect from taking the next step as a program, right? And what we mean by that is perennial tournament contender. We're talking about winning the A-10 or being the top of the table every other year. or Sorry, sorry every year. I've had a lot of people in my mentions, and even David Jablonski had a column in the Dayton Daily News just today about Dayton becoming the Gonzaga of the East. And I really hate when people bring that up, and I really wish that fans of the Dayton Flyers program would stop making this broad claim that we want to be Gonzaga of the East. And I'll tell you why. Dayton has nothing, and I repeat, nothing in common with Gonzaga. They don't. And if you think they do or you want to argue with me about it, I'm sorry that you have to be wrong. It just is the way it is. Okay, Gonzaga as a program, if you know anything about their history, Gonzaga had not been to a tournament game until 1995. Okay, and the guy that is coaching there now, Mark Few, took over in the year 1999. To that point, the program had been around for roughly 50 years, okay? And they had made three tournaments all within the six years prior, or sorry, 
Uh, they had made two tournaments five years prior to Mark Few joining. So you had 50 years of a program, and they'd been to the tournament twice when Mark Few took over. Me and Drew did some research before the show. Since Mark Few has taken over at Gonzaga, and we're talking about 20 seasons worth of basketball, they have lost a grand total of 28 games in the West Coast Conference. Drew, that blew your mind when I pulled that set out, didn't it? It is ludicrous. <laughs> it's I mean, ludicrous. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, they probably played, what, 14 or 16 conference games back in the early 2000s. It's probably been up to 18 now. I'm not quite sure exactly how their scheduling is gone. They did. They used to do 14 for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And so, but look at it this way. Mark Few is not losing. He's losing one to two games on average a season. One to two every year. Like, yeah. think about it. Like, Dayton has had down years where we've lost eight games in, or eight or more games in the conference. You know, that's that's almost half of Few's total, a third of Few's total. That's precisely right. So I, I want people to just start start getting away from that comparison because there's just there's just nothing relevant about our programs other than Gonzaga is a mid major that has success. Instead, what I would like fans of the program to start realizing it is the goal right now for the Dayton Flyers program, the overarching goal, is to be what Xavier was ten years ago. And I'll walk you through exactly what I mean by that as well. The A-10 is consistently a very top-heavy league. There's always been one or two teams that are very good. The middle, as you guys know, and as Brooks Hall said last week on our episode, tends to have a bunch of teams beating up on each other a lot, which, again, leads to losses. It's not uncommon in the A-10 to lose four to eight games and still be a decent team. So in the same time frame that I mentioned about Gonzaga, that 2000 on, Xavier has won the A-10, and this is only talking about 2000 to 2014. Xavier won the A-10 half of those years. Half, okay? There are another four years where Xavier was in the top three, top four. Sorry, another three years where Xavier was in the top four. So I'm going to back up. I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you right now. There were 10 years out of 14 that I'm mentioning right now where Xavier was in the top four of the conference or they won it outright. Okay. This is what we're trying to do as a program. You aren't trying to go be Gonzaga. You aren't trying to go 14 and 0, 12 and 2, because that's not even that's, that's never been done in the A-10. And I do hope that we get there, but that comparison isn't worth our time right now. What Dayton is trying to be is what Xavier was 10 years ago. Okay, and this step with recruiting, this is an important step to get there. Okay, because what Dayton is doing now and where they have positioned themselves, and I guarantee you why they are having success on the recruiting trail is that Anthony Grant can pitch stability. When you think about programs all around the country, power five programs, okay, even meddling power five programs. We are up against Arkansas and Texas A&M. Arkansas is on the up and up. So is Texas A&M, but they're not huge programs, okay? They're right in the middle of the pack in the Power Five. Both of those programs have had coach turnover recently. Dayton, they have, but in the if you're looking down the road, it does not seem likely. So Anthony Grant can go into living rooms and say, I'm an alum. We have our community here. We have our brand. And he can pitch that stability to say, we're not going anywhere. The foundation that we have in place is not going anywhere. 
why don't you come along for the ride? And this is, of course, putting aside the obvious. I mean, there's so much success that can be built off OB. There's so much success that can be built on the recruiting trail off of nightly appearances on SportsCenter, the national coach of the year for Anthony Grant. But again, I guarantee you that why Dayton is winning on the trail right now recruiting is because of stability. Drew, that was a whole mouthful to start the show tonight, but I had a lot to say in fairness. You sure did. And, you know, it was a lot of very good points by you. I want to circle back to the whole, like, being the Gonzaga of the East thing. We shouldn't be worried about what Gonzaga's doing. We should just want to build Dayton up to be the best possible program it can be so we can talk about how good it is. Why do we have to compare to a, a school that is co- on the complete opposite side of the country, a school that we've played once in the last 20 years? Like, yeah. why do – just because we're both – smaller schools with, you know, good tradition in quotes, you know, Mark Few is their tradition, but Dayton's is a little bit more, you know, rich history, but. But that's thing- my, that's my point. We could, we compare ourselves to that because Gonzaga has now made the blueprint of how you become a successful mid-major. And then you step over the moniker of actually being a mid-major because there's no one in college basketball that considers them a mid-major. And there's a good reason for that. They haven't missed a tournament since 1998, okay? I mean, like, that is how you get off of that pedestal. It's not by going to the tournament every couple of years and then taking a few years off. I mean, their success is unprecedented, and no program in the country has done what they've done. However, there are, you know, programs in the country that have done what Xavier had did. And what I mean by that is they made the tournament consistently year over year. And then a coach left or got a better job. What happened? They hired one of the assistants. They kept it in the family. Sean Miller left. What happened? They hired an assistant, Chris Mack. You know, I mean, they've done that now time after time after time from Skip Prosser to Thad Ma to Sean Miller to Chris Mack. I mean, all of those guys just stayed in the family of Xavier. And I hate to, you know, go on and on about how great Xavier is. My point was just that if Dayton is going to take the next step, this is the goal, right? You want to be what Xavier used to be. Exactly. You know, when they left, they left the void there for someone to take that mantle. And, you know, no one's really stepped up to the plate yet. It's kind of been a little bit of a balance, uh, like a shift of balance and power since Xavier left. You had, you know, Dayton has obviously had very good teams. They've basically had one and a half bad years since Xavier left the A-10. Yeah. And, you know, VCU's had good teams. Salou's had, you know, back on the up, the up track. Uh, Richmond is going to be good. You know, no one really kind of stepped in and took over, you know, the overlord title. But I think Dayton is beginning to separate itself from the field. And these two recruits are the, the first shots fired by Dayton and saying, yeah, no, like this is going to be ours for the next decade. And <laughs> it's the it's the necessary first step that you have to take. Because these are two, like, these are the two biggest recruits we have ever had. Think about all the good Dayton players that have been there since, you know, forever. These are the two biggest, like, two of the biggest recruits. One of them, a top 50, who we've never even sniffed before. So we have now ventured into the land of the unknown. And it's a very exciting, but it can also be a very terrifying position to be in. Because you know what? Like, everybody, you know, this just goes with Ohio fandom. Dread is in the back of your mind. It is. Yep. You listening to this episode right now, dread is in the back of your mind. 
but how's it going to go wrong? You need to, but you need to be able to take a step back and realize that we are on the, we have taken the first steps into becoming the program that we want to ultimately become, which is being in the tournament every year, dominating the A-10 and being a legitimate player for recruits like these guys. Yeah. And, and all of it will mean nothing if Dayton does not build on the success year after year. You know, we're not talking about one, you know, one seed appearance. We're, we're not talking about that. St. Joe's was a one seed one time. Remember that? I bet you do. Well, you know what's happened to St. Joe's since? They have not been that program. They're not dominant. They, they never were dominant. They had their good year, and then they faded back to the program that they ultimately were, which is a perfectly fine average program in the A-10. It's just it, it's what it is. But back to the lens for Dayton, you know, we're talking about going year after year now in the tournament. And when you start to put together recruiting classes that are in the top 25, I don't put a whole lot of stake in recruiting rankings, nor should you. But when you start to do these things year over year over year, you're, you just said it yourself, Drew. You just leave yourself way less room to mess up. You know, if you're getting three guys in the top 100 every season, even if one of those guys doesn't pan out, who gives a shit? You, you have plenty of other guys to fill the void. And so um, a lot of people I'll mention later on have forgotten that Elijah Weaver's on this team. He transferred in from uh, Southern Cal, and he was a top 100 recruit himself. But when you think about the 15 years prior to this, Dayton only had two Two guys. Ooh, I'm gonna get. I'm, give me. Give me a rattle at this one. You what? You want them? Yeah, go ahead. It's one's Jawan Staten. Yeah, and, I mean they're both and, local guys. Yeah, the other's Chris Wright. Correct. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Okay, it's pretty easy. And, and, and it's, it's funny. It's funny how you know we're making a big deal about this for good reason. You know the guys that Dayton has historically got to stay or to go to the program rather that have been big recruits. John Staten and Chris Wright were local guys. I mean, that was that yeah. was the, always the aim was we got to get local guys to stay home. So we're, we're making a very long winded way of saying Dayton's not trying to be the Gonzaga of the East. What Dayton is trying to be is a dominant program in the A-10. And once you get there, then you can start talking about Gonzaga of the East. But frankly, since we missed the tournament two years before this one, we got about uh, mass serves 19 years to go until we're yep. the Gonzaga of exactly. the East. <laughs> right. You get to the dominating portion of, like, you get to the portion of dominating the Atlantic 10, then it's all house money from there. Yeah. And you, you just keep building. And I, I was laughing with Drew as we were looking at some of the stats before the program today. And I saw, you know, I, the GW year where they went 16 and 0. Uh, we mentioned this year a lot this past season because Dayton obviously was trying to go undefeated but uh in that year that gw went 16 and 0 they owned the conference xavier was number seven that year i'm talking about 2006 they went eight and eight xavier still got in the tournament that year because they won the a10 tournament okay so they had a crap year right <laughs> so after their crap year they won the conference five years in a row so again I think I'm starting to illustrate how far the gap is between where people in Dayton think the program is and how far it still has to go because our two crap years just happened. The Anthony Grant's, you know, first two years, 
So if you want to match what Xavier did in that stretch, they got four more years in a row. They're going to have to win the conference. And I mean, you know how it was in those years, Drew. Like Xavier dominated the yeah, conference. Yeah, they dominated. <laughs> and they're and it didn't matter. Like you said, they were eight and eight, and they won the conference. It didn't matter what team Xavier had when you walked into the Atlantic Ten tournament. Everyone said, everyone would say, it like it's probably going to be Xavier. Like it didn't yeah. matter who if G Dub was sixteen and zero. It didn't matter if Dayton had a really good team. It didn't matter if Richmond was good. Every time you walked into the Atlantic Ten tournament, you would look over, you would see that ugly ass navy blue or whatever blue that Xavier claims to wear, and you'd be like, "Gosh, damn it! These these dudes are probably going to walk away with this tournament, even though they're eight and eight. And that's where like, and that's the thing with Dayton. Like that's where Dayton needs to get is even if you have a like, say injuries happen. And we finish, you know, 10 and eight in the conference or what have you, whatever, pick whatever record you, your imagination pleases. Sure. But we could go into the tournament and people could be like, yeah, Dayton went 10 and eight, but look at the talent they have. Look at like, look at their track record. Like they could very easily just walk right into the Barclays center if they're still playing there and win this tournament. Yeah. And and if, if you're taking this as a slight to the program, it's, it's far from that. No, it's not. It just, it's just more illustrating how wide the gap is and, and why I always say, I've said this many times. I'm fairly honest about this. Brian Gregory was a great guy. He's a, he's a great guy, but on the court, he put the Dayton program back another four years from where they were supposed to be. He had the talent and he had the team in 2007. You know, Chris Wright got injured. They had, you know, they battled some injuries that year. They went to the tournament that next year. They beat West Virginia. And then that 2010 season, they missed out and they went to the NIT. And those two years right there, those were two of the most crucial years in the program's history where they missed out on becoming the program that we're talking about right now. And I will fight anybody tooth and nail on that. If you want to come at me and say that, no, or you have your reasons, I don't even know what those reasons are. But I always say the 2010-11 seasons when I was in school, those were two of the most detrimental years post Oliver Purnell that the program could have imagined. And it was simply because they were on the cusp of being the program we're talking about now. And uh, as they say, Drew, we fumbled the bag. But, right. <laughs> you know, he, here we are. It's, it's, you know, we're about to be in the 21, the 21 season. Um, Rob Doster brings up a good point later on in the show here that we are going to have to call it the 21 season. Because if you don't, it's going to be the 2020-21 season. And we just can't have that. I can't be saying that all season. I can't. Yeah, I think it, that we're finally going to make the transition from like doing the multiple years, like the 18-19 or like the 19-20 season. I think you're eventually, we're going to see the transition to where it just becomes whatever year the NCAA tournament is in, that's what season it is. That's what season is, correct. Um, and so, you know, things are looking pretty good right now. I have to be honest with everybody. I've talked to Brooks Hall two weeks ago that said Ibby Watson is going to take that next step up. I think that's a logical conclusion to draw. He was the sixth man. They lost three guys off the starting lineup. Ibby's going to be starter night one, should be a starter every single night. You know, if he averages the 15 to 20 that Brooks told me last week that he would, shoosh, you're going to have to look out. But Drew, we've talked about this a few times on the program. It bears repeating since we might have some new listeners from our new affiliations with ESPN Radio and the Field of 68 Network, that this is a tournament team. And it it has been a tournament team for months on paper. And, and I'm not really sure. I, I Okay, I am sure. People were sleeping on Dayton because they lost our seniors and, and Obi. But 
I mean, we said it from the jump. This is a tournament team, right? Yeah. Oh, 1,000%. It's a tournament team. You have your top, you lose your top score. You lose your best player in Obi Toppin. But you have your second and third leading scorers back, probably. And it, I'd have to go back and look at the sticks to fact check, stats to fact check this. But I mean, Ibby and Crutcher, you know, their, their output will be increased. You're going to have to get some contributions from other guys around the squad. And we've talked about it with, you know, the injury to Cohill. Guys are going to have to step up. Yeah. But this is 1,000% a tournament team. And your expectations going into the season should be seeing Dayton play in March, in March Madness. Yeah. That's going to be my expectation. That's going to be Sully's expectation. I imagine it's going to be anyone else who comes on this show to talk about Dayton's expectation for the team. And it's Anthony. And you know what? It's the team's expectation. This team 1,000% thinks that they should be in the tournament and just as good as they were last year. Will they be? That's yet to be decided. But I think the guys in that locker room believe they should be as good as they were last year. Yeah, and I I believe they will too. Um, you know, the Cohill injury, as we mentioned last week, it's a, it's a big blow, uh, especially on the defensive end of the floor. But Jalen and Crutcher and Ibby Watson averaged twenty five points together last year. You know, with twenty points to fill from Obi, with ten points to fill from Trey, and eight from Mike Sell. I mean, those guys are gonna have to eat, and they're gonna have to eat more. So. Um, with OB averaging 20 points last year, it was the first time it happened in the program since Chip Hare, I believe, in 1991. Pickwell, Ohio legend. Yeah, uh, so it had been about 20 years since we'd had a Dayton Flyers player average 20 points, but uh, the man OB Toppin did it over this past 2020 season, so put it to bed. It's done. He averaged 20 a game. But again, I think Crutcher's going to do that this year. I really do. Um Again, mentioned tonight for the show, we are going to talk some in-depth recruiting with Jeff Endures. They're my in-house recruiting experts. That's coming up next. And then Rob Dosser is going to end the show explaining a little bit more about the Field of 68 Network and what he is doing this year. Uh, Before we do get to that, me and Drew wanted to add a little special segment into the program tonight. It's called the beverage segment. I got to figure out some music for this one, but we have... We've added segments. We've lost segments. We're gaining new fans, so we want to keep it spicy um, with the conversation. But the segments, you know, we got to Drew. We, we have to, you know, we got to freshen it up a little bit with the segments. So I told Drew we always have a beverage on us when we're podcasting. So I'm going to let you behind the curtain of the laptop here for today's beverage segment. Drew, what are you sipping on for the program tonight? I'm sipping on a Sunkist. Oh, yeah. Sunkissed orange soda, a, a childhood favorite of mine, uh, oh. and I never really grew out of it. Uh, oh. Great deals at gas stations. A lot of times you can get two for like two bucks. And the, and the sugar intake doesn't worry you, no? Uh, no. So I'm not a coffee drinker. Oh. Um, I don't drink coffee. I never have. Don't really like the taste. I've tried all the kinds. So before all you people come into my Twitter mentions about, oh, no, this is the coffee you need to drink. I tried it and it didn't work. But I've always been, you know, I've always kind of operated on sugar. So I you know, think it's probably because I've, you know, drank it for so long in my life. I'm just, my body's just you used to it. it. I was molded by it, yeah, some would yeah. say. You can't so, quit sugar. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's, it's a classic. It's a favorite of mine. Great on like a, you know, it's not a summer day. It's, it's like 50 degrees out in gray in Cincinnati, <laughs> Ohio. But on, a, on like a very warm summer day at the lake, if, you know, you're feeling a little under the weather, a little hungover maybe. You know, nice little fresh sun kiss to get you a little kick in the ass uh, back on that horse uh, to enjoy your day. What are you sipping on? 
You know, it's funny that you asked, Drew. Uh, it's so I the one of the reasons I did want to do the beverage segment was to let listeners know basically like what time roughly we're recording. Because typically, when me and you record late at night, like we're drinking some kind of brew, right? Correct. Adult, adult beverage, if you yeah, will. My, Seventy. The more and more we do this segment, the more and more percentage of my drinks being alcoholic is probably going to go up. Yeah, because we, we started recording at night. Um, today, I I do have an afternoon coffee. Um, it's about 2 p.m. Central right now. Um, but I did an afternoon coffee today because I'm currently challenging myself. So I'm going to have to do this story, all right? Before I get you into the recruiting segment, I got a story. So about two weeks ago, uh, there was a publication in Chicago that came out with the 18 best burgers in the city, okay? And if you know anything about me, I'm pretty passionate about burger reviews, all right? Burgers and chicken wings. If you're going to put out a list that says we got the best chicken wings, I am going to do the investigative work, okay? Now, there is a place in Chicago that has the best burger I've ever had in my life. It's probably the only burger that I've never even hesitated to put ketchup on, which is big for me being from Pittsburgh. You know this. And it's called Oshaval. If you've been to Chicago, Oshaval is the place. Sometimes you got to wait about two hours to get a table. But if you're coming into town and you want the best burger you can possibly get, you have to go to Oshaval. Anyways, this list came out and it put five burgers ahead of Oshaval. So me, being the inquisitive type, Drew, and you know that I'm an inquisitive type, I had to do the investigative work. Because if there are five better burgers than the one that I consider the best one I've ever had of all time, you bet your ass I'm going to find out. So this is a long way of saying I tried another burger today. Alas, my hopes were dashed and it was not as good as the Ball burger. But since I had a big greasy double cheeseburger for lunch and some fries, I really needed something to speed me back up for this podcast. So um, I'm a big pour over coffee fan and I went with hazelnut cream pour over uh, done by yours truly. No Starbucks shit here. It's the real deal. Local made. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big gourmet, gourmet coffee guy, and that's what I decided on for today, today's program. So that's our beverage segment. If you want to sponsor the beverage segment or any other segment on this show, you please let me know. Get in touch with the program. We're at Talking Out Loud, of course, L-O-W-D, uh, at gmail.com is how you can get in touch with us. But, Drew, I want to ask you a question before we got into this segment. Do you need an automotive expert that you can trust? Always. I always need an automotive expert that I can trust. Who doesn't? George at Mobile Used Car Inspections is your man if you're looking for such a guy. He's an ASE certified technician who specializes in pre-purchase inspections when you are buying a used vehicle and performs certified and IRS qualified automotive appraisals for all insurance and legal purposes. And he wanted me to let you know, he's been doing it since BG introduced us to the four-man weave. So that tells you he's been around for a little bit. <laughs> right? That was George wrote that in the script. I, I love that George did that. It tells me he's a fan. He's passionate and that, you know, he's a part of our community. So if you're thinking about buying a used car, call George. He'll go to the car and he'll check it out on site. If your car has been totaled, but your settlement amount seems too low, you call George. If your car has been hit and now it has a bad Carfax report, you call George. Are you a big shot UD law grad that needs an expert witness? What do you think they should do, Drew? Call George. You call George or you can email him info at mobileinspections.com. He's at mobileinspections.com, of course, or simply call 937-671-0768. That's again, 937-671-0768. And I did all that because George is the sponsor of the recruiting segment coming right up now.
week, we wanted to bring on our in-house recruiting experts. There are many recruiting experts out there on the landscape, but you, fair listener, are very lucky that you have two expert in-house recruiting guys. They are Jeff and Durs, and they're joining me as they do every offseason to talk a little recruiting. We're not going to do a full episode tonight, guys, but it is time to talk recruits. This is when you guys get to have the stage um, are Jeff, are you coming down from the high of the Flyers having a top 25 recruiting class, or is this a high that you can ride for weeks now? Absolutely not coming down. I mean, this is something that we're carrying into this season, um, motivation throughout this entire year, and it's just an extra little sprinkle on top of uh, what to expect for 2021. And, you know, we never want to get too out, you know, too out ahead of ourselves here, but uh, without a doubt, the best recruiting class I've ever seen come through Dayton, and I think. Uh, our friend David Jablonski said it the best, uh, the best recruiting class for Dayton this century, uh, I believe was a quote. So uh, we're still riding that high and, you know, hopefully we're expecting uh, some more good news here in the, uh, the near future, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. And you guys mentioned to me, um, if, if you ever wondered how I get my recruiting news or how I am putting out information on Twitter, it's from Jeff Enders. I don't follow recruiting at all until guys sign on the dotted line to say they're coming to Dayton. And I don't need to because I got these two guys. But there's I think a lot of our listeners aren't really aware of the recruiting process, number one. But number two, more importantly, the thing that's more interesting is how it's tracked. So when we say a recruiting class, I mean, give the listeners an idea of what we're up against with like power five programs and the kind of talent, because I don't think anybody even understands from the outside lens what a top 25 recruiting class is, right? And quite honestly, we haven't had many. I think Scucci's class <laughs> yeah. might have been close to it. Uh, but yeah, this is one that, that we firmly believe could be top 15 when it's all said and done. The best part is, you know, even after the two that we landed this weekend, we still have two more spots left. Yeah, we could, we could add more to it. Uh, we could potentially uh, wait and get some transfers. So we'll have to wait and see. But in terms of recruiting, yeah, this is this is new landscape to land a top 50 guy, even a top 100 guy. A top 100 guy. Normally we're, we're top 150, top 200 uh, if we're lucky. So the fact that we're bringing in these guys, we're competing against the power five and, and we're winning. And what makes this even you know crazier to think about is these guys couldn't even visit campus. You know, so yeah. what, what was Archie doing? What was BG doing? The <laughs> fact that AG can get these guys by just showing them the, the campus over Zoom is very impressive. And it shows that this year gave us that recruiting bump that we've been wanting. Yeah. And when I look at our historical classes, somebody said 2010, and that was the year we got Jawan Staten. And to his credit, he was a four-star recruit. Um, I think it's under a different light because he's a local guy. So you always you know, expect the local guys to stay home, or at least you know, we try to get them to stay home. Um, but just going down the list of our big recruits, the number two recruit in Program history was Juwan Staten. Then you had Chris Wright. Number four is Kosas Anadokounmpo, and you guys will laugh. The fifth-ranked recruit all-time UD history is Jimmy Binney. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I took a look at the recruiting rankings today, and I, I told my listeners earlier that you, you don't want to put a lot of stock into the recruiting numbers or, you know, like Juwan Staten is ranked like a 97, and then Chris Wright's a 97 Jimmy Benny's like a 94. I don't think those numbers necessarily mean anything. But Jeff, the point I did want to hammer home for people is that when you start to get into that top 50 recruit range, there are very few guys that miss or are misses. Is that right? I mean, I think that'd be, 
you know, safe to say uh, you never want to say uh, a player is a sure thing. I mean, I think we've of, of anyone, Dayton's proved that um, you don't need that top fifty guy to make a to make a deep run or to be on the the national you know nationally relevant kind of landscape, if you will. But um, what this brings for us with you know with Caleb Washington and with Deron Holmes is these are guys that are are being recruited by Power Five conferences, and it's becoming more of a trend of those are the recruiting battle you know battles we're getting into. Um, you know, Arkansas, Virginia Tech, Miami, um, you know, Cincy, Xavier, uh, a lot of those ACC schools always pop up against people that we're battling against, you know, Alabama time and time again. It seems like they've got unlimited scholarships. But when you start getting into that top, you know, 50, top 75, top 100 recruit area, I mean, these are guys that pretty much have, for the most part, the pick of the pick of the schools they want to go to. Um you know, they're still getting interest from the Kentuckys. They're still getting interest from, you know, those blue bloods. And at that point, it just really kind of comes down to fit and comes down to, you know, scholarship availability and, and really playing time. And I think what's unique about these guys is AG was able to sell them on, on development, was able to sell them on uh, immediately, you know, playing for this team, making an impact. And ultimately, you know, as Durs mentioned, that bump is saying, hey, you guys can still be nationally relevant. Um, at Dayton and in the A-10. You don't have to be at some of those other schools. And I think we got a gem in these two guys as it relates to their personalities and their their families as well. It seems like just even from a few interviews with like, you know, Deron and Caleb that they get it. They understand what AG was selling. They understand, you know, how the the proof is kind of now in the pudding with what Obi was done with from a player development perspective. And that's kind of all we needed, I think. So the timing was right. And I think the uh, everything kind of worked in our favor. Yeah, what makes me so excited is both these guys commented on the development, which is something that is, is foreign to, to Dayton fans, it feels like, in, in, in recent years. But then also that you just talked about the strong schedule. You know, so I think Dayton's putting a strong emphasis on our non-con schedule, on those, you know, Thanksgiving tournaments as opportunities to showcase against top teams. And, yeah, as Jeff talked about, you know, these two guys, they had offers from, uh, when looking at like a combined list, Arizona, you know, Florida State, Kansas, you know, Marquette, Notre Dame, you're talking about, you know, the top, top teams in the country and the fact that we're going head to head and winning. And the fact that we landed the Arizona, you know, Gatorade player of the year, you know, just blows my mind. And it just shows what great work, you know, AG and his staff are doing. That was the point I did want to hammer home because I don't think that this was made enough of a big deal. Um, and I'm specifically going to talk about Arizona here for a second. So uh, my cousin went to the University of Arizona. He lives down in the Phoenix area, and he's very tuned into college basketball, follows the sport uh, about as closely as we do. You know, he loves the games. And I think the one thing that that I've picked up from from him being down there is that if there is a big recruit in the Phoenix area, He's getting an offer from ASU, Arizona State, and he's getting an offer from U of A. And if he is getting an offer from U of A, they typically reserve those for the top like two or three guys in the Phoenix area. And there's a lot of good ball players down there. And those guys almost always go the way of Sean Miller because they're the program out there. You know, UCLA isn't what it used to be. USC has certainly never been a huge power, you know, in, in Southern California. And then you you look around from there, it's like, what, you want to go to Grand Canyon or whatever? So the point I'm trying to make here is that the top guys in Phoenix go to Arizona. And the fact that we got one of those top guys, not only to not go to Arizona, but to go to Dayton, I mean, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around how we took such a leap in one year. But 
these these recruits were kind of specific in saying it wasn't because of Obi, but I want to say, Jeff, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but the leap, the reason it happened so fast has to be a culmination of everything coming together at once as opposed to one factor, right? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I think anyone would be lying if they said COVID didn't play either a, you know, some impact in all of this, whether it's positive or negative. And in our case, I think somehow it turned out to be to be a positive. And sometimes that uncertainty actually maybe worked in our favor um, because I do think AJ and the staff um, were able to develop those relationships and maybe make it a more, um, you know, comfortable feeling for these kids, if you will. Um, in many cases, I think we've lost a lot of really close recruiting battles, as we've seen over the years to some of those power five teams. Um, again, on the East Coast, the St. John's and Creighton, um, Seton Hall are some that come to mind right off the top of my head of guys that just picked those schools because it's, you know, hey, Dayton, you gave us a good pitch, but, um, you know, we're going to take a flyer, or take a chance over here at one of these bigger name schools or playing in a, a bigger name conference. So I think that uncertainty actually kind of worked to our advantage of, of you know, Ricardo Greer, and you know, particularly who's been the lead recruiter on quite a few of these guys. He was a lead recruiter on Duran um, and working with AG and just having constant contact with these kids saying, hey, we know it's a little weird out there right now, but we're able to sell you on some consistency on a family environment and really on, um, you know, certainty of our program moving forward. And I think that's big. Um, and the other thing with that too is, a lot of these kids, when you start getting into the top echelon of recruits, um, they move away from from their their high schools and communities that they grew up in. Yeah, they go to um, those prep schools. Yeah, like Duran, for example, went down to uh, Montverde in, in Florida. And so, as we know, we've been hitting Florida hard and the South hard for a lot of this here for a while. Um, and I think AG kind of is starting to really get integrated in those areas. And, um, you know, a lot of these kids' trainers or assistant coaches or AAU coaches uh, have some great connections with Greer and AG down there. So um, when you kind of get kids that are outside of their their home communities and outside of where they're born, I think we've got a, a greater chance with some of those kids. And you're seeing it with, you know, RJ, you know, Black News coming in, and you've seen it with, you know, OB, all kids that went to to prep schools that were able to kind of uh, give them the sell. Yeah, the one interesting thing that, that I find is, you know, in the spring when, you know, there was just transfers, you know, announcing every single day didn't land any of them you know I was getting concerned that hey maybe we don't have this recruiting bump but you know I think you really got to credit AG and his staff for for pivoting uh somehow they they mastered the the ability to recruit over zoom and you know I think they, they will hopefully continue to excel and and possibly one or two uh commits here in the very near future uh that we're that we're tracking I remember those texts in the group chat. Like, AG, AG, are you sleeping? Dark day. What's he Very doing? We were not happy. You guys thought AG was holed up in quarantine and wasn't doing anything. That, you know, little did you know, he was it just going after the out. big fish, fellas. He was he was fishing with way bigger bait than you thought. <laughs> Weaver was a nice Weaver was a nice uh, palate cleanser to to tide the ferocious uh, Dayton fans over. That's for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people actually are forgetting. It's a great time to remind listeners. Uh, Elijah Weaver, who transferred into the program from um, USC, he was a top 50 recruit himself. Um, so it, it's just, again, I have to laugh because we we've, we got these two kids coming in who are monsters. We haven't even talked about Scoochie's younger brother. It feels like that kind of got pushed to the side all of a sudden. I mean, the program was so hype for 
Scoochie's younger brother, Mally, to sign. He was a three-star guy. He's a good recruit in his own right. And now it feels like I forgot about that for a second yesterday when we started talking about this. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We got you know another kid, Mally Smith, in 2021. But when you look at the recruiting rankings now, we're, what, 22? We're a step ahead of Duke, which is crazy. And there's, like you said, we have two scholarships left. So who are we still on? And what is the ceiling for the recruiting ranking for the Flyers this this offseason heading into next year? Yeah, so there, there's two guys, or, or I guess potentially three guys, uh, that <laughs> one of Dayton has offered Jeff. We'll talk about them all. Jeff's not a big fan of one of them. Uh, but Rafael Castro, uh, he's a guy who paid his own way uh, with the NCAA rules and COVID. Recruits, you know, colleges can't pay for recruits to take official visits. So if recruits want to come visit, they got paid on their own. So Castro did pay on pay on his own to visit Dayton, wasn't allowed to see the coaches. Uh, but then he also did the same to visit Miami. Uh, so it seems it's either Dayton, Miami that he's going to choose from. Uh, rumblings are he's going to choose within the next week or two. Uh, so he's another top 150 kid. You know, he's a big kid, 6'10", uh, would, would fit you know, ideally in this offense, you know, he could play a variety of positions. So that'll be interesting to track. Another one is a kid that just came over here to America. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to screw up his name. So Mustafa, you know his last name, Jeff? We, we can just call him Mustafa. That's yeah, fine. just call him Mustafa. Mustafa. I call guys Chimichanga and Dirt Road Johnson on this program. I don't think anybody's really going to fact check you on this one. Right. Okay. Yeah, anyway, Mustafa <laughs> came over to America probably about a month ago. Uh, and he's blowing up. Apparently, Dayton has been in contact since he was overseas. And uh, yeah, he's playing at a top prep school. He's also a big guy, 6'9", 6'10". He's a shooter. Uh, I think he's probably someone that will wait until the spring to commit just because he's you know just came over. And the last guy is Duncan Powell. Um, he was committed to Arkansas. He backed out. He did put Dayton in his, in his final five schools. Uh, I believe he wants to commit sometime in November. <laughs> he's a he's an interesting prospect that I don't know if Dayton is on anymore just because he kind of fits the same positions of you know the two commits we just landed. Yeah. So okay. So if you let's say they they get the two uh, aforementioned kids, um, they they get Castro and Mustafa. Wh- where would that put Dayton's recruiting class nationally? I do think Mustafa could end up as a top fifty guy when it's all said and done. Uh, so if they would land him, you know, and, and or Rafael, you're looking at easily a top 15 class. Uh, yeah. And that would just be unthinkable with Dayton. Yeah, I think it's definitely, without a doubt, a top 20, possibly a top 15. Um, I think ultimately it will be interesting to see where AG and the staff go from here, though. Um, because not only does, you know, Powell kind of play a similar role, but Castro and Mustafa both play a very similar role. They're, they're similar sizes, um, somewhat similar skill set. Uh, but in the era of positionless basketball, you can never really have too many, you know, talented guys that that play um, multiple positions and, and are as big as these guys. But they all kind of fit in that, you know, power forward, small forward um, position, which is interesting to see how the roster, um, you know, build kind of goes. If we get yeah. Raphael, I don't know if you really push much harder for Mustafa. And if we get if, you know, Castro ends up going to, to Miami. I think we're going to see a really, really big press on on Mustafa. I kind of think that the staff got on him um, quickly here when hearing of him because I do think he's an unreal talent that's going to end up blowing up on the recruiting circuit here, um, just judging by the buzz already. And I think they've lost a little bit of confidence maybe with uh, Castro setting a recruiting date of October, early October and then, and then backing out of that. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with those two guys. And then Powell, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, there's alluded to a kind of an interesting background there. He's from Texas, um, you know, was committed to Musselman at Arkansas, backed out, released a top five and then released a top 10 and then released a new top five. Uh, and his current top five includes the likes of ourselves, but then also like UTSA, Old Dominion, uh, and a few HBCUs, I think uh, North Carolina, A&T, and Hampton. So, um, you know, he's very much made a push to s- seemingly want to make a, somewhat of a, a statement impact from, you know, going to an HBCU or maybe a, a smaller school where he can be the guy. Uh, and, you know, if he comes to Dayton, I don't think he will be the guy. I think uh, no. I think there's going to be a lot of other players there. And, I mean, this kid is is talented, it sounds like. You know, he, he's a top 40, top 50 kid himself. Uh, I'm just not sure where his head's at, and he's kind of been messing around with it for a while. So uh, he's not the highest on my list currently. He also has an offer to go play overseas or in the G League, apparently. So that's something else to consider. Well, <laughs> one other thing is um, – Holmes did comment that he wants to try to recruit some guys to come with him. You know, so there could potentially be guys that, that we don't even know about that maybe Dayton hasn't even started recruited yet that, you know, with the influence of Holmes, you know, this could open up some additional doors that we haven't considered. And if you guys are like rolling your eyes as we like talk about these kids and, oh, you know, I don't think he's a great fit for the program, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, you guys, you know, how could you say that, blah, blah, blah. The coaches are having these same conversations. You know, if you're like, I don't think this kid's a cultural fit. I don't know where his head's at. He doesn't seem like he's really committed to b-ball. It's really not us doing anything more than coaches would speculate during the recruiting process. So you start to see how much goes into this, how much time is invested by our program and every other program into recruiting. But at the end of the day, you're starting to see the type of player that Anthony Grant wants in this program. Is it a guy that's going to buy into the school, buy into academics, buy into being better, buy into playing in a system and not being a sole contributor on the team. Beyond that, physically, AG is looking for guys between 6'5 and 6'9, and that is where he is going to be all day, every day. Uh, You're seeing it. Like Dayton could roll out a lineup in two years, three years that's just all wings. So it's just stuff for you listeners to keep in mind. I know, again, a lot of the people out there just don't follow recruiting all that closely, which is why uh, it is great to have you fellas on to, uh, to give everybody the lowdown. So thanks again for joining us, fellas. This is always a good time. You know that. Of course. Go Fives. Everybody go Fives. That says, this is still talking out loud that you're listening to. Stick around. Rob Dosser is coming up next to finish out the program. show tonight i had a special announcement for you that the talking out loud podcast was going to be featured on the field of 68 network however you probably don't know what the hell the field of 68 network is so on the back half of the show tonight i wanted to finish up uh, with my friend rob dosser formerly of nbc sports doing college basketball coverage and his career has fallen so far that he's now a colleague of mine um rob what do you have to say about that it's a fall from grace it's, you know, it's it's a little disappointing going from being on TV for NBCSN, getting ready to do the Atlantic 10 tournament studio show to having to do podcasts with uh, with Dan Sullivan. But it is what it is. I don't am I allowed to say your real name? Like, is that out there? Did I just you know, did I just blow your cover? 
No, you did. Uh, you know who actually was the first to blow my cover in the whole program was the A10 commissioner, uh, Bernadette McGlade. We we did <laughs> we did an interview, and you know how that goes when you set up an interview with somebody that is a college official, or um, you know, you've done interviews, I think, with like NCAA officials. You kind of treat it like a very professional thing. It's like you sit down, you're like, all right, here's the questions we're going to talk about. It's all very structured, right? And I did kind of treat that interview like a conference call that I would be on for work. And sure enough, right at the end of it, she was like, oh, thanks for your time, Dan. And I didn't have the heart to be like, mm, like maybe don't, you know, just cut that out. You know, Sully is my thing here. So yeah, you're not, you're not the first person. It's happened a couple times though. Yeah, it's, it's like you got a character to play. You can't. You're not a real person. You're not professional. You're just this wild and crazy date fan that happens to curse a lot on a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they asked me about that this past week. So this uh, this week was uh, our flagship show. Um, uh, we are the flagship show rather now on uh, ESPN Dayton as Thursday nights at six o'clock. And a lot of the fans asked me like, now that you're going big time are you going to cut down on the swearing? And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a son of a blue collar worker. It just is what it is. But um, yeah, I'm going to have to bleep out the podcast now. So you know you've made it big time when you have to start going back through your shows and bleeping things out, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I still curse a lot on the podcast. You know, as long as, as long as it's kind of like in the realm of like semi-decency, you know, as long, like if you say something on a podcast that wouldn't get you punched in the face at a bar, like I think that you're it's like completely fair game. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I watched you kind of go from cleaned up professional podcasts on NBC to kind of like um, I don't want to say irreverent, but they they let you like get away with way more as you made the show more successful. Right. Yeah. That and it was also just kind of like that's what people kind of connected with. Right. Like that's what they were interested in. That's how. um that's just kind of like who I am. And, and and the truth is when it comes to podcasting, the, the people that you're going to listen to are the people where you feel like you want to have a conversation with that person, right? Where you feel like, okay, I could go to a bar and have a beer with him and hang out. I could go and watch a, a basketball game or a football game with me, uh, with him. And, and we would have a good time doing it, right? Like those are the people you want to listen to. So why would I try to be someone that I'm not when I'm, when I'm doing a podcast, right? Like I, I'm just going to be who I am. So I, I think that's the best way to actually do it is to just be authentic. And, you know, sometimes I, I curse a little bit. Sometimes I get a little bit reckless. Sometimes I, I, all I want to do is talk about, you know, beer. So it, it, it kind of is what it is. You just got to be who you who you are on a podcast. If you want people to connect with it. Yeah. And, and I think that's why this show has been successful because it has been like a more authentic fan voice as opposed to like the the one newspaper coverage that we get. I mean, the, the coverage in Dayton is fantastic, but a lot of times they're feeding you what the school is telling them to say. And there is such a room. There's there's a lot of room for, for this type of outlet. Um, I was going to ask you that to start. Well, the podcast. Actually, you know, I actually think it's a little bit different. Like when you come when it comes to a newspaper, you're going there to get information. You're going there to find out. Um, you know, how this guy got hurt. You're going there to find out, like, is Anthony Grant on the hot seat or like something like, obviously he's not on the hot seat, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, is Obi yeah. Toppin going to go pro? You know, why is uh, the Jalen uh, Crutcher has been playing bad? Does he have a spring? Like, you go to the newspaper to get the information because you can trust those outlets to have the correct information, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're a fan, I'm going to listen to you because we have the same mindset when it comes to rooting on this team, right? Like I, I listen to like I'm, the example I like to use is I'm, I'm a big Tottenham fan. Like I'm a big soccer guy. Right. And yeah. I don't listen to any of like the, the journalist podcasts that there are. Like I listen to the fan podcast about Tottenham. Cause like 
you want that experience, especially now when you can't actually go to the games and like go to a bar and watch with a bunch of people and have like watch parties. So having a little bit of that experience where you just kind of have, you know, you're, you're, you're venting at the same time or you're celebrating at the same time, or you feel like that, that kind of fan experience is something that I think is very valuable, which is part of the reason why we decided to launch this network, which I guess we should probably tease that at some point, right? Yeah, I think that's why we're here today. So <laughs> I I, bet, I've, I always have good questions to open up with. And then like five minutes down the road, I'm like, oh, crap, like we should probably get to the thing we we're actually going to talk about. But um, we have we've been working on this behind the scenes, you more so than I have. Um, and to give the listeners some background, uh, about a month ago, uh, Rob came to me and said, hey, we're putting together this podcast network. Uh, we're not sure on the details, but, you know, would you want to be involved? And I said, hell yeah, like, why wouldn't I want to be involved? So now we're a month ahead. Um, the day of this recording is August 27th, and you guys made a press release on August 27th with Jeff Goodman. Guys, my bad. I said August 27th. I obviously meant October 27th. This was recorded on October 27th. It was a stupid error. My bad. Let's get back to it. About the Field of 68 network, but um, you know, let the Dayton listeners into you know, kind of how this idea came to be for you. Um, and I guess you could probably start with you know when you left NBC and then you know all the way to today, it all coming to fruition. And now we're we're launching and we're rolling, man. Yeah, so I was a victim of the Rona at uh, well, actually, I probably shouldn't phrase it that way, but the the oh, I was too the, the yeah the so um, the downturn of the economy due to the coronavirus pandemic came for my job eventually, right? Like, and it's something that I wasn't necessarily surprised by. You know, without the Atlantic Ten, um, there really is no incentive for NBC Sports to be all that invested in college basketball coverage. Which, like, I, I get it, man. Like it. it it sucks because um, I loved working there, but it's also like, you know, it, it's a business and I understand how businesses have to work. And once something becomes not profitable, especially when you have to start uh, cutting some costs a little bit, then, you know, you got to cut those costs somewhere. And, and uh, college basketball is what got um, trimmed. Well, so let me I, do it, let me do like a quick aside, too, because the listeners aren't really like aware. And, and you're spot on. Like, remember, the A-10 tournament was always on NBC Sports Network for our listeners. And if you if you guys remember, like the landscape of college basketball, NBC Sports was kind of late. And what they ended up doing was kind of piecemealing their offering together. What I mean by that was ESPN gets a certain amount of games. Then Fox Sports came in and said, hey, we're going to buy up all the Big Ten or all the Big East coverage. And then the Big Ten obviously had their agreements in place with their channels. So NBC went out and was like, "Okay, what else is left? And what they ended up with was the A-10 and like a little bit bit of there was some other conferences mixed in there but i just wanted to back up and tell the viewers like that's kind of what we mean by there wasn't a whole lot of room for nbc to move because all the big boys got snatched up and i can speak for our entire fan base to say you can't live and die on a10 basketball there's just not enough meat on that bone but go ahead yeah and and the other part of it is like so i don't know if if you ever bought anything on ebay back in the day but do you remember how like you the you would just kind of wait until the last second and then throw out a bid um, yeah. uh, that was kind of high just to try to snipe it at the last second. I, I forget what you would actually like what, what we call that, but that's basically what happened to NBC with, um, with the big East deal. Like everyone thought that NBC was going to get it. And then at the last second, Fox sports swooped in and, uh, dropped the bag. And, yep. um, that was not ideal for me in that situation because after that happened, then there really wasn't any other space for them to get into it, but it actually probably ended up being better for NBC. Cause you know, now they kind of, They've been focusing on the Premier League, and that's really uh, shot up. And, and you know the the sad part for me, being a huge soccer fan, is not 
being able to have like the easy access. Like I could get into pretty much whatever I wanted to um, soccer wise in the States uh, because of that connection. And so that's gone. Like, so as weird as it sounds like the two things I'm most disappointed about in, 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 in getting laid off was the access that I was able to get through NBC for soccer stuff. And the fact that I had basically free cable. Right, like, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. NBC Universal is owned by Comcast, so I had like I was paying like twenty five. I literally every single thing that you could possibly have through Comcast, I had, and it was like twenty five dollars a month. It was unbelievable. <laughs> like, it, like it was legit. Like the thing, what I was getting through cable was probably like five percent of my salary. Like I'm not even oh, exaggerating. There, uh, it was amazing. great. And now, and now I got to start paying that. So now. Um, that Your wife's like cut channels. Man. We're going to YouTube TV now. I know, right? <laughs> we gotta. We might have to cross that bridge at some point. Um, I forget what I was talking about though. But yeah, so the we, field we were talking cool. about the we were talking about like the whole the whole arc, and it started with a long conversation about like how you left NBC, and then I always like to get into the broadcasting point of it. But after you left NBC, then what went down? So I just kind of decided like I don't want to be at the mercy of a major media company that decides to make a decision that is not in my best interest. Right. So I was, I wanted to own my own thing. I wanted to start my own thing. And, um, I've known Jeff for a while and we've been trying to, uh, find a way to like work together for a while. We did some stuff with stadium last year and we put, yeah. pitched some other things for him. Um, I've always wanted to have like a college basketball road trip show where they basically just give me, uh, me and somebody like a couple of, um, GoPros and put oh, us in a car and then I'd just let us go. I just yeah. killed to do that. Oh, so would I, like just be, like turn it into basically like a vlog, but give us HD cameras and, and kind of let us uh, let us go and do whatever we want to do. Which yeah, would like be every awesome. weeknight we're at a different location watching a game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, or just turn it into like a weekend. Say, okay, this weekend we are going to Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're going to go and have dinner with Rick Barnes, and then we're going to go walk around like Tennessee's campus with a basketball player to see if they get recognized at a football school, and then um, you know find so like Rick Barnes loves to play pranks on people, so go and play a prank with rick barnes on somebody like just do something like that and like you get 22 minutes of content for that very easily and make it like a 30 minute tv show out of it and do one of those a week and you know nobody nobody's bought uh no one's bid on it yet so if you're listening to this don't steal my idea all right if you steal my idea i'm gonna gonna come fight you so we'll just put that out there but um yeah so i I just kind of decided like I wanted to do my own thing. I know Jeff was was interested in, in working together. So he obviously has the connections with basically everybody in basketball. So um, I started trying to put like the, the infrastructure for this business together. Um, he reached out to people that he knew to try to connect us and to try to get us as partners on this endeavor. And, um, you know, two and a half months later, here we are. We have, I think it's 17 podcasts now, maybe 18 once we throw you in the mix. And, uh, it's overwhelming. Um, I'll be honest, like I've probably yeah. gotten more than three hours of sleep once in the last two weeks. It's just like putting together all of the, the the video previews and making sure that the infrastructure is in place to actually be a legitimate business and making sure that I understand how to use Adobe Premiere and how to um, how to be able to like stream videos live on Twitter and on YouTube, all that kind of stuff. It, it just takes time. And, and uh, when my wife is working uh, 40 hours a week as well, we have two kids. One of our kids is 18 months old. And um, 
if you're listening to these podcasts that I'm on, at some point you are going to hear her screaming in the ba- background because she is going to maniac and unbelievably loud. like you've heard it, Sully. You've heard her yeah, screaming yeah. on oh. our Zoom calls. It's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. She's she is oh man. She's a she's a spitfire. Let's just leave it at that. But yeah, so I just decided I didn't want to work for anybody anymore, and I wanted to try to do my own thing. So um, I had a a buyout that could kind of cover me through the whole season in terms of um, income from NBC. And between that and what I've been able to piece together with like some freelance stuff, like I was, I basically had a chance to free roll the, uh, the 2020, 21 college basketball season. But can we talk about that? By the way, we can't say 2020, 21. We got to find a different way to say it. The 20, the 2020, 2021. We can't say 2020, 2021. You're saying four times in a row. Like we got to, we got to brainstorm a way to fix that. Well, okay. Yeah. As far as the podcasting thing goes, I always refer to the season in the year it ended, and I started doing that. <laughs> I, hold on, with, I like how you just skip by. I, I like how you just skip by, like me complaining about having to say twenty too many times. That's how you know I'm not on enough sleep. Was when Sully's like, "Yeah, <laughs> he just got too ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> I could I could easily transition that into my opinions and feelings. That's why I'm so good at this job. You see, um, <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. I I started referring to the season as the end of the season like if uh and this just happened because i just wrote an article on our site about a game that happened in december a non-con game and i said it was in the 2012 season even though the game happened in 2011 so that's my workaround for it so if you want to get around that just be like we're going into the 2021 season yeah that's it. Yeah. The 2021 <laughs> it's, it's, season. It's too much, man. It's too much for me to wrap my head around right now. Maybe after uh, I get a good eight hours at some point in the next month, I can, we can start actually brainstorming what we're going to do to fix that situation. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, what's been the hardest part about getting this off the ground? I mean, is it just juggling, you know, how many roles? I know f- for me, um, it's it's not the, the, the wearing of different hats. For me, it's the constant next show up and what i mean by that for the viewers is like now that we're into the last week of october the first week of november my mindset every single week is what am i doing for my show what guests am i doing how am i piecing the show together like literally every sunday night monday morning i'm thinking about like what i have to do for my show and regardless of how great my show was the week before like last week had brooks hall on you know it's going to espn radio this week great show great you know well received but this week, it's like that means nothing. You need to get on and you know get your next guest and get rolling again. So I always find that as the hardest part for me. I was curious, you know, what you found to be the hardest part about this whole endeavor. The the amount of stuff I didn't realize I didn't know. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, does, that, does that make sense? Like, oh yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. I thought I thought it would be very easy. Like I've done a whole bunch of stuff in iMovie before, right? And like that's the way I I do these like dumb little. NBA draft prospect videos and you, you upload them in iMovie and it's really easy to just like, uh, like control B to, to cut something and can like delete and blah, blah, blah. And, and mix it. Yeah. It's, it's very simple to do in iMovie. And I was just like, if I can do it in iMovie, like I gotta be able to do it in Adobe Premiere, right? Like it can't really be all that much different and holy shit. Is it different, bro? Like I, <laughs> I, I was, when I started with Premiere, like 
I, I swear I almost threw my laptop out the window like four times. I was like, why can't I click this button? Why doesn't yeah. this, why can't I put this right here? What is going on? So like it's a lot of just like, okay, so how can I paste something? I gotta go watch a YouTube video and figure out how to do that. How can I clip something? I gotta go watch a YouTube video and do that. How can I export without having it be a, a 30 gigabyte video? Gotta watch a YouTube video to go figure that out. So it's like it's little things like that, and it just adds up and adds up and adds up for everything that I'm trying to put together. Cause like I've done the content side before, right? I've never done yeah. the business side. So trying to figure out how to do all of that without losing my mind and teaching myself like all of this stuff is just, it, it really became overwhelming. And um, like, it's, it, it's, <laughs> I mean, to, putting together a startup is stressful for anybody, you know, yeah. doing it when you, you don't know when you're, you don't know if you can ever get another job in that field because of the way this industry is going. It's just, you know, it's, 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 it's tough, but I, I, and I mean this truthfully, like this is the first time in probably like two or three years where I've really felt like motivated and excited about like what I'm doing, right? Like you, yeah. what's, what's, what's the old adage? Like when, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, it's stressful and it's hard and it's time consuming and it's required way more work and effort than I thought was ever going to have to go into something like this. But I fucking love it, man. Yeah, it, like, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do anything else. Like I, I, I love putting all this stuff together. I love figuring out these problems. I love finding a way to make this work. And and you know now, all we got to do is just figure out how to make money off of it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I feel like. That's been every conversation we've had over the last like two weeks. Like, how are we actually going to make money on this? Like, oh well, I'll sleep on it. <laughs> um, we'll figure you, out the, something. The the old adage of of never working a day in your life, but something it, it comes with a caveat. It's you'll never work a day in your life, but you'll be stressed out every single day about the direction and quality of the things that you're doing. Right. Because if you truly love like the path and like, you know, my show is, is exactly the same. So I think we're, we're on common ground here is that I really love doing the show and everybody knows that that's why it's been successful because I just, you know, I pour what I feel into the show and it's, you know, been well received, thank God. And, you know, I'm a little entertaining in myself on a microphone, which, you know, I can thank my mom and dad for that, I guess. But um, on top of that, it's just, it's a grind because like I said, when we started the conversation, I'm constantly worried about the next show, the next guest, the next thing. And then after that, it's, you know, I'm constantly worried. Am I doing right by my sponsors? Um, you know, are we hitting the right topics? You know, do, do people even care about this? And, and when I first started, that was the big uphill was like, do people even care about this show? And now that I know that I have that, um, it's focused into like, how can I make it the best thing? And, and that's why it was obviously a no brainer for me to jump on with you guys. But then secondarily, I guess I didn't give myself enough credit for the show's success initially, but then people kept saying, Hey, it's, it's impressive that, you know, sponsors have come to you and they want to advertise, you know, it's impressive that you've getting, you've gotten some of these guests, um, and when all that started to trickle down, I started to think to myself, all right, this is actually a sustainable side project, small business for revenue. And then when you guys hit me up to, to help with this project, I thought to myself, well, if I've already done this successful, that means I have a blueprint, you know, mistaken or not. Like it, I always say it was accidental, but I made a blueprint. So if I've made that blueprint, it stands to reason that we could replicate that you know, many times over in the college basketball landscape, because like you said, man, there's an appetite for it right now. Yeah. And and the big thing for me in starting this was that 
you know, I, I've worked for major media companies. I worked for NBC Sports. I worked for Sports Illustrated back in the day. I've done some stuff with NBCSN. Like I, I, I kind of know how that side of it works. And when you don't connect with something nationally, when you don't have a storyline that, that that everybody is going to care about, um, it's it's very hard to crack like the front page of ESPN. It's very hard to get into yeah. like the first block of Sports Center, right? Um, the, I think one of the saving graces for college basketball has been Scott Van Pelt and the fact that he just loves the sport so much and he's always going to be talking about it, whether it's something to do with Maryland, something to do with uh, whatever big Monday game leads into his show, uh, the bad beats that he, 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 this, the bad beat segment that he does. Like, so um, it's very hard to crack that when you don't have something that resonates naturally in the sport. And the hard thing with college basketball is we have what, like, 75 programs that can legitimately be, be called mid-majors, you know, oh, yeah. or, uh, or high majors. High majors um, yeah. And I, I count Dayton among that, that, that group. So don't yell at me, Dayton fans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it's fan base alone. Like there are, there are definitely 70 programs that have legitimate fan bases that, that can support this kind of content. I agree. Yeah. But the, I think Dayton is also like the perfect example of what we're trying to do because in this city of Dayton, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Sully, cause you know it better than me, but yeah. in this, in, in that city, Nothing matters more than the Flyers. They they are king in that 100%. city. There's no and doubt about it's it. A, it's a big enough city that it can support like a podcast and a newspaper and um and you get a basketball program and, and and they love it enough that like they keep putting the first four there because you fucking maniacs keep selling that that gym out every time that they have like Texas Southern playing Grambling whoever. So yep. like it, it it works in Dayton because college basketball is king. But in the con like in the grand scheme of things when it comes to sports in America, the however many hundred thousand or whatever Dayton fan, Dayton fans that there are. Like that is so minuscule when compared to what Sports Center is trying to attract and the number of people that are um, that are tuning in to watch something about like the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees or Zion Williamson or LeBron and whatever he's doing, right? So the market is there for college basketball content. It's just like it's more segmented, if that makes sense. Like it, it, you have all these passionate Kansas fans that care about Kansas more than anything else that just so happen to live in the state of Kansas. And and that's not a place that like when you are a major media company, you're not saying, okay, we have to get everybody in Kansas to watch something, right? It's Kansas. Yep. Same thing with like Lexington, Kentucky, like the, the state of Kentucky in general, you know, the, the, what is it? The um, Indiana, what, what is, what's that little, the Indiana can, um, Illinois, Kentucky, that region, whatever it is, you, you have tri, people, it's the tri-state area there. Yeah, yeah, the tri, yeah, the tri-state area. You have people that are just absolutely crazy about college basketball, but it's also like that's a that's a in terms of the grand scheme of things in this country, that's a very small area and a very small population that isn't necessarily going to be catered to when you have to get the biggest number possible. So, I just saw a void, right? Like, I, I feel like there's a place for like very specific, hyper local really, really good college basketball content because there are a lot of creators out there that, that aren't able to kind of gain the employment from the major media company. So I just kind of figured like, why, why not try it? You know, like, I, like I said, like I'm, I'm, I'm in a spot financially right now where I can kind of free roll it and it, I don't have to make money off of this this year. And if it doesn't work, then you know what it doesn't work. And maybe I can go into something else next year. Maybe I get a job somewhere else. Maybe uh, the the pandemic is over and and you know our economy recovers and someone else is whatever it is. Like I can figure it out from there. But like, why not give it a shot right now? 
There's never going to be a better time than right now. That, that's exactly how I feel too with with my situation. And just to hammer home your point, we're finishing up with Rob Doster here on Talking Out Loud. And thanks for joining us for the full show today. But your 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 point is well received, obviously by me, because what you're saying is, and I'm not going to you know stroke my own ego here, but you're looking for 40 or 50 shows that are exactly like this, that are hyper specific. Because I don't try to be anything than the voice of Dayton Flyers podcasting. That's all I ever try to be. You know, I don't want to cover the Dragons, our minor league baseball team. I don't want to talk about the Reds or the Browns or the fucking Bengals. Like, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to talk about Ohio State. I even come on this program and say how much I loathe Ohio State. I'll always do that. But to, to further drive this home, you talked about the market that we're in. Dayton, the Dayton area is the 73rd largest metro area in the country. Right. And between 70 and 90. okay, I'm going to read off all the college towns between 70 and 90 around Dayton. I'm going to come down from 90. Ready for this? Syracuse, New York, Madison, Wisconsin, Winston, Salem, North Carolina, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, Colorado Springs, Boise, Greensboro, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. Those are all college towns, every single one of them is is he either has a big university there or a big program to follow that everybody in the town is locked into right so it, it's i thought that was such relevant information because you're saying it's all hyper regional it's hyper specific you, you couldn't be more right and when you listen to colin cowherds when you listen to um the dan patrick show rich eisen they're picking up on what did the cowboys or the packers do what did the steelers do um what did lebron do last night i mean national stories that they think a lot of people will care about because they're marks you know the national media is typically catering to the lowest common denominator i hate to be like that and so i think it's um I think it's definitely a worthwhile cause to do this, to go after all those markets that we talked about, because if you can get into all these hyper regional markets, um, you know, you can have a better voice and you can have a voice that's more well received, because like you said, the people in those markets will then start to feel like, okay, this is our show that's only for our content. And with the um, the podcast revolution exploding, uh, I think it's a perfect time to strike while that iron's hot. So um, you know, before we let you go tonight, you can get one last plug in for field of 68. Um, cause I don't even know some of the stuff we have coming up right now, but, um, the show's getting released on October 27th, uh, the talking out loud podcast and on ESPN radio. Um, but what's coming up over the next week, man, we have, so if you go and, and check out the field of 68.com, you can see the roster of, uh, of creators that we have and, um, it, it's just we, we have A.J. Guyton, uh, just to throw out an example, A.J. Guyton had uh, uh, Steve Alford on his pod and the stories that they told about playing for Bob Knight. I don't know if you've um, you've heard this one yet, but Bob Knight, like uh, Steve Alford did a photo shoot for a sorority calendar, right, that they were selling to, to try to raise money for the sorority. And he ended up getting it was a violation. and He got suspended for a game and he got on the team bus to go to the game because he thought that he could go and fly to the game and just sit on the bench. And he said that when he got off the bus at the airport, Bob Knight grabbed him by the back of the jacket, said, you're not coming with us, and then told the bus to leave and said it made Steve Alford find his own way home. <laughs> he told a story about how he was uh, about that. Uh, what was it like 20 miles away from campus at some little airport on the edge of town in Bloomington? He had to figure out how to get home in the middle of January because he got suspended <laughs> for the Kentucky game. 
There's no no Uber back in those days, unfortunately. No Uber in those days. So like it was just you, you have two Indiana legends chopping it up about playing for Bob Knight. You know they're going to have stories. We had uh, Eric Devendorf um, on with Jim Beheim talking about. Uh, like what it's like to coach Buddy, how long Jim Beheim's going to be hanging around. We had uh, Dan Dickow and Adam Morrison talking about life as a Gonzaga player. Like, here's, I, I know I'm spoiling all the good stories, but they're just too funny. Like, Adam, in, Morrison, Adam Morrison is, uh, is about five years younger than Dickow, I think. And um, when Dickow was a senior, it was when, when Mo was starting to get recruited by Gonzaga. And um, so he went to his first, like he was, he was working out at a camp or like coaching at a camp or something. And they had the the coaches practices after like they sent all the campers home. And he said that he was playing with Dick out and Dick out like comes down and throws him a behind the back pass. And Morrison just isn't even expecting it. And get, gets hit in the forehead with it. And Dick out just looks at him and goes, the fuck are you even doing out here? <laughs> <laughs> and you got to remember like Dick out at this point is a first team, all American. Adam Morrison is a guy, I believe he was like a walk on when he got there. Like, just some local kids, some nobodies they're recruiting from Spokane. And, and like, what do you do with this guy? Dick Gow's a first-round pick, hits you, in the, hits you in the forehead with a, with a pass, and um, he looks at you and says, what the fuck are you even doing here? Like, how do you react to that? It's so, <laughs> it's so funny, man. It's so funny. And that's uh, hopefully the uh, the type of stories that are going to be churned out week after week, uh, month after month. And like you said, college basketball season is now less than 30 days away. Uh, so it's a perfect time to talk about this. It's a perfect time to have you on with the release uh, the same day that we recorded this. But, um, you know, always a pleasure, man. We're going to be doing it a couple more times before the end of the year. But, uh, you know, with the season coming up, this was a good time to catch up and, and talk some hoops, right? Yeah, it really was, man. It was good to connect. I'm glad that you're involved. Um, and I think that we got something here. I think I, th- I really think we do. I couldn't agree more, man. Uh, I'm super excited for this project. I don't know where the field of 68 network is going to take us, but uh, I'm willing to see. I didn't know where this show was going to take me, but now I'm just looking forward to figuring out where the ceiling hits. That's going to do it for our show tonight. For Rob Doster, for Jeff and Durs, for Drew, I am Sully. This is Talking Out Loud. I truly appreciate you sticking around all the way to the bitter end. And you know that if you are at the bitter end, there are two rules until next time. You wear red and you be loud. See you then.
next time I'll remember what you do. She looks like heaven. Maybe this is hell. She said she'd do it all again. She promised not to tell. If I get drunk.